Well, good morning, church, and welcome to worship. It's good to have everybody who's gathered here in the Faith and Arts Center, and we realize many are joining us online as well. Today, we are continuing our summer worship series that's entitled, Blessed to be a Blessing. And we're exploring the eight blessings or beatitudes pronounced by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we come to the fifth beatitude, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, which declares, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Throughout the series, we have seen that each beatitude has three elements. There's a declaration of blessing, blessed are, the status or condition of those blessed, the merciful, and the result of that blessing, they will receive mercy. The fifth beatitude is unique in the fact that both the status and the result of the blessing are the same. If you give mercy, you get mercy. And the unspoken corollary is, if you don't extend mercy, you're not going to receive mercy. And the Beatitude illustrates two fundamental spiritual, scriptural principles. The first we hear over and over again in the Bible and in my preaching, that our relationship with God is inseparable from our relationship with others. You can't pull them apart. Last week, as we looked at the fourth Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, we turn to a familiar passage in Jesus' ministry. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And you may remember he responded by saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like the first. You can't pull them apart. To do one is to do the other. To neglect the one is to neglect the other. Love God, love neighbor. Last week, we also heard the convicting words from 1 John chapter 4, which say, we love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen How can they love God whom they have not seen? He's given us this commandment. Anybody who loves God must love their brother and their sister. So the first principle we see revealed is this relationship between God and others is interlinked. The second principle is what we give, we receive. And I want to be careful in stating this because I am not promoting a vending machine theology where you take your coins, you put them in the machine, and you get what you paid for. A lot of people think that's how the world ought to be. I hear people in our culture as well as see memes and comments on social media that talk a lot about karma. That karma is getting what you deserve, get what you paid for. That good people get good things, bad people get bad things. The only problem with it it is that the world does not work that way. 
You don't have to live in this fallen world very long to see that good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. Despite that, there is a theme that runs throughout Scripture that describes a spiritual spiral of reciprocity in our relationship with God and with others. I love that phrase. I worked on it a long time, so I'm going to say it again. A spiritual spiral of reciprocity. That there is a tendency of what we give that we do receive. Jesus spoke to this in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus told his followers, do not judge so that you're not judged. Do not condemn so that you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing into your lap. Here's the punchline and the principle. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And you can hear Jesus' words in two different ways. You can hear it as a simple quid pro quo, tit for tat, you do this, you get that. But I think the wider witness of Scripture reveals something amazingly different occurs. That when we're willing to abstain from judgment and condemnation, when we're willing to forgive and give, the shallow vessel of our lives deepens and grows. That we enable God to bless us even more because we have created more of a capacity for blessing. We've opened our lives up to God because remember our relationship with God is intertied with our relationship with others. And by forgiving and giving, we allow God to give to us in turn. Blessed are the merciful. And we hear that word a lot, but what in Christian life, what does that in reality look like in day-to-day living? One of the persons I've turned to throughout the series is William Barclay, a noted biblical scholar of the last century. And in his commentary on this passage, he said... Mercy means the ability to get right inside others' skin until we see the things with their eyes, until we see, think things with their minds, until we feel things with their feelings. Barclay is describing a spiritual empathy that goes beyond an emotional sympathy. It means trying to place ourselves beside the other and to understand their point of view, their perspective, their needs, their desires, their wants, and allow that to drive us to concrete action, to do something for them that they need. And it fulfills the golden rule that we teach our children in elementary school, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But even more particularly... What mercy looks like in the Christian life is forgiveness. When we come to God in prayer and we ask God for mercy, that's what we're seeking. We confess our sins, we recognize the places we've fallen short, and we ask for God's mercy, for God's forgiveness to erase our sins. Well, as we receive mercy, we're called to give mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We prayed about this just a few minutes ago. Every week in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Some traditions use the language of debt. 
And they will pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And I do find that language of debt to be very insightful. Because when you have an unforgiving, unmerciful spirit, you begin a tally of all the different debts people owe you. Of all the different hurts and harms that have been done to you and to those that you love. We keep an accounting sheet and a ledger and we don't let go of it. Instead, we take those embers of hatred and hurt and we stir them up into flame. We peel the scabs off of wounds. And what we discover in the process is that bitterness, a lack of mercy, an unforgiving spirit are toxic materials in our souls. And ultimately... We're not hurting the person that hurt us. We're hurting ourselves. And we're allowing the person who did us harm in the past to continue to control our lives in the present. One Christian author said that a lack of mercy, a lack of forgiveness, a bitterness, is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. If we are to receive mercy... We need to be willing to extend mercy and forgiveness in our lives. Later, there's an incident in Jesus' ministry when Simon Peter approaches him. And Peter, bless his heart, is trying to get a handle on this whole forgiveness and Christian relationship thing. And so he says to Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother or my sister if they sin against me? Up to seven times? Well, you may remember... Hebrew scriptures taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And that sounds harsh in our modern hearing, but it was actually an attempt to limit the cycle of violence and of revenge. But by the New Testament times, Jewish rabbis had a more lenient approach. They said, you ought to forgive your brother or your sister up to three times. Simon Peter no doubt learned this in Saturday school. But he knew Jesus was calling them to do something more, so he took three, doubled it, added one more for good measure, seven. Do I need to forgive my brother or sister up to seven times? Do you hear the fundamental flaw in the question itself? Peter was speaking a language of limits. Like the Pharisees of his day, he was trying to codify, legislate, legalize the commands and demands of God's law upon his life. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I don't say seven times. And Simon was probably, well, good, because that was a lot. Jesus said, I say 70 times seven. 70 times seven is a lot. It'd take a CPA to keep up with 490 different offenses for every person you have in your life. Of course, that is the whole point. Forgive. One time. Three times, seven times, 77 times, 70 times seven plus one. Because as we've been forgiven, we're called to forgive others. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Let's go. And in order to illustrate what he was talking about, Jesus told a story. He said, once upon a time, there was a king, and he decided to settle the accounts in his realm. So he called in everybody who owed him money. And the very first servant to appear before him owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't repay. 
So the king commanded that both the man and his family be sold so that he might recoup at least a little bit of what was owed. The first servant threw himself upon the king's mercy and begged for a little bit more time and promised that he would work to repay the debt. And the king, in a moment of grace, not only released the man, but he forgave his debt. The servant was walking out of the palace when he encountered a second servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed the man by the throat, thrust him against the wall, and demanded repayment. And when the man said to him, I don't have the money, I need a little bit more time, the first servant had the man and his family thrown into prison. And there were others who witnessed what had occurred, and they went back to the king and reported the incident. And the king demanded the first servant be brought back before him. And he said, you wicked servant, I forgave your debt, which was so huge, but you were unwilling to forgive the debt of another that was so small. And he commanded him to be thrown into prison. And the punchline of the parable is this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you each forgive your brother from the heart. That's more than a little bit convicting that the mercy we receive is the mercy we're called to give. Later in Colossians, Paul wrote to the church and he said, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you might have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgives you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And Jesus went on to say, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive them their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. And again, there's two ways to interpret that. A very literal fashion that God will not do what we will not do. Or perhaps there's a broader understanding that if we have unforgiving hearts and unmerciful souls, we simply cannot receive God's forgiveness and God's mercy because there's no room in our lives to do so. Think of the riches we receive from God. Life, abundant life, everlasting life, salvation, mercy upon mercy in our lives. Out of the overflow... We're called to share that with others. And there truly is this wonderful spiral of our spiritual lives that occurs. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you receive, the more you're able to give. And the more you're able to give, the more you're able to receive. And it becomes this wonderful win-win-win situation in our relationships with God, with self, and with others. So this morning, I invite you to a a relatively simple spiritual exercise. Is there someone in your life this morning who has harmed you and hurt you and you can't let it go? And as I ask that question, for some people here, there may be a face and situation that comes to mind. What would it look like to put that aside for a moment? And to meditate on what God has done for us and somehow be willing to do that for them. And as a first step, pray for them by name 
and ask God for the mercy to extend mercy as a forgiven people to forgive in turn and discover how that opens us up to God's blessings so that we in turn can be a blessing to others. Let us pray. Almighty God, this is hard stuff today. Because when we reflect on others in our lives who are hurt and harm, not only us, but those we love, we don't want to let go of that. And yet in the process, what we discover is it eats us up inside and it becomes this toxic substance that poisons our hearts and our souls in our healthy relationships. Lord, we can't do it on our own. So help us to come before your throne today and reflect upon how we receive mercy upon mercy in our lives. And it's out of that overflow that we can afford to extend forgiveness and mercy to others. Teach us to pray for them. Teach us to pray, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive our debtors. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we make our prayer. Amen.